Introduction to the Maxims of Methuselah. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Maxims of Methuselah by Gellett Burgess. Introduction. The following is, so far as I know, the only authentic rendering into the English language of the 330 parables attributed to Methuselah. The authorship of these precepts was first traced to the aged patriarch by the Kabbalists, after having found by a transposition of the letters of his name the anagram he who prophesied in parables. Of its origin, the book, though freely rendered into the idiom of the hour, still bears intrinsic evidence of having been compiled by one who had had extraordinary experience with women. The amorous export will not find it hard to believe that 969 years would be none too short a time for any one man to have accumulated such a profound lore. Indeed, women tell us that the present span of life is entirely too brief for an ordinary man to obtain the slightest comprehension of the extreme complexity of feminine psychology. Men live and die without having acquired the rudiments of its categories. Methuselah himself, despite his unrivaled opportunities for investigation, could hardly have formulated so exhaustive a hand or, shall we say, heart book without some help from his contemporaries. Moreover, that the author of these maxims had what passes for humor is plainly apparent from the jocosity of many of his verses, and this must be reckoned with in adjudicating Methuselah's claim to the honor. The patriarch undoubtedly had a dry wit, as historical evidence proves. Colin de Plancy, who says that every word that fell from his lips was superlatively perfect, narrates a legend of the patriarch showing this. On his five hundredth birthday, Methuselah, having lived out of doors all his life, was visited by an angel, who advised him to build himself a house. How much longer have I to live? the old man inquired. About five hundred years, replied the visitant. Oh, well, then, said Methuselah, I hardly think it's worthwhile for me to bother myself just for that little while. Regarding the origin of the text, a few words may prove interesting to the reader. While excavating several Roman sarcophagi of the second century, on my estate of Le Travalot in Provence, I came upon some twenty slate tablets covered with weather-worn cuneiform inscriptions. They had evidently been buried with the ashes of some centurion, or perhaps had merely been hidden in his grave. I do not myself read either Assyrian or Babylonian in the cuneiform, but my rendering has been made from a literal translation in which I have had the greatest confidence, and where the characters proved indecipherable, either from the erosion of time or my assistance in experience, I have not hesitated to supply the deficiency of the records with what I would myself have said, had I the patriarch's felicitous advantages. With these important exceptions, a thorough investigation of the Talmud and other sources has compelled me to believe that these maxims are beyond peradventure the original parable spoken of by Fabricius. Granted, then, that the patriarch was the author, how came these precious tablets to find a resting place so far from the land of giants, where they were undoubtedly written? In answer to this natural question, I have to offer the following ingenious theory. Amongst other curious fables, it will be recalled by students of the lesser-known Oriental literatures that Methuselah died upon the day set for the inauguration of the flood, 
which was postponed for seven days that men might mourn the patriarch fittingly for a due season eusebius it is true places his death fifteen years afterward but as he does not state where the patriarch found refuge while the waters covered the earth his authority may be discredited general opinion follows the midrash rabbi solomon asserts that methuselah died seven days before the deluge and the perk of rabbi eleazar as well as the jahut confirm his testimony as these maxims prepared for the guidance of shem were delivered just before methuselah's death this postponement of the cataclysm gave the young man ample time during which to ensure their safe deposit in the ark now curiously enough the scriptures do not chronicle the death of shem although the statement is made that he lived for five hundred years after begetting arphaxad according to eisenmenger he was given the name melchizedek and the rabbi gerson reports seeing his last resting place in the land of og king of bashan in a grave eighty ells long but other talmudic legends narrate that he with his brothers fell asleep in a cave and did not awake till the nativity when shem ham and japhet appeared as the three wise men of the east leaving this repository with the brothers after many years of hiding the story would reasonably account for the presence of methuselah's tablets in palestine from which place they were undoubtedly taken by the romans at the fall of jerusalem and no doubt coming into the possession of some influential general were carried by him into southern gaul the fact that the city of arles near which the tablets were found has always been famous for its beautiful women is highly suggestive for the use of such information as the text supplied would be highly useful to any man who might settle in such a locality eleven apocryphal writings of shem are known to exist but i have been able to find no definite mention of these maxims in them to corroborate my theory fable welds another link in the chain which binds the oldest man to the book methuselah had a sword inscribed with the incommunicable name shem hamfarash with which he slayed a thousand devils the symbolism that convicts this lady killer is patent even if we take the statement literally this proof of courage is not unworthy of one willing to antagonize the whole female sex by the unblushing impertinence of his maxims ab alio espetes altere quod viseres as regards the women with whom methuselah derived his knowledge history and tradition show that he had a wide field for investigation besides the land of nod uz and the countries watered by the four rivers which flowed from eden the pre-adamite theory exploited by isaac de pereira in sixteen fifty five would account for many more opportunities the oriental book of hushshenk name speaks of a race prior to the creation of genesis located upon the isle of musham one of the maldives they had flat heads and were governed by a king dambak who submitted to adam when he was expelled from the garden of eden yet another authority lies in the book of genesis itself for the double account of the creation of woman in chapters one and two is by many supposed to indicate a double creation according to the talmud adam's first wife lilith was cast out of paradise and marrying with eblis the prince of darkness became the mother of the djins or phantoms to whose influence solomon owed his magical power greatly as the subject of feminine psychology and emotion has interested philosophers of all ages 
the writings have been chiefly tentative and analytical rather than constructive women's ways have been avidly discussed even smiled at but except for these maxims no scientific attempt has been made to embody in an organized manual man's discoveries in relation to women rules for the guidance of youth are much needed however and an instructive and specific textbook for the proper understanding and management of the fair sex should be in the possession of every young man desiring to attain proficiency in this greatest of all arts the failure of experience to teach men is notorious how much more futile is it to expect the callow youth to learn by mere experiment in a series of disastrous and pathetic essays no woman must be taken a priori or not at all we must have some definite principle or hypothesis upon which to proceed in our love-making failure after failure has brought this fact home to most men who even if married are still ignorant of the action and reaction in the feminine of cause and effect refined or crude as the patriarch's categories may be and it seems evident that methuselah gained the bulk of his knowledge from the commonest types of womanhood no doubt the factory girls of the great brick foundries of the euphrates his principle of classification is sufficiently scientific naturalists and segregating species and varieties must rely upon differences of less anatomical significance than their selection would at first sight imply in the same way women do not differ from men in the larger characteristics of honor generosity unselfishness and sapience unless indeed the modern woman has in the impetus of her mental emancipation outrun man and becoming more idealistic has attained a positive superiority at any rate it may be safely held that men and women are more alike the higher they are cultured and the differences between the two must be looked for in mere trivialities and methuselah's justification for the light he has thrown upon woman's frailty lies in the fact that after all we love our friends as often because of as in spite of their faults no man would have woman less inconsistent less whimsical these are the charms that if they amuse endear even the curious fact that what is universally true of women is universally funny also did not escape such a shrewd observer as methuselah woman is unfortunately characterized chiefly by her weaknesses and this fact is the basis of much of our modern humor not that men are not as weak or as perverse but their faults for some reason have never attained any real literary value in the eyes of the comic muse there are legends pointing to the fact that adam's first wife compiled a volume of reflections upon man's foibles and methods under the name of the lore of lilith and that a gospel of eve existed in the time of st ephanias is evidenced by his mention of it as having been in great repute among the gnostics the mussulmans also attribute to her a book of prophecies which it would be most interesting to substantiate but however just these may have been in their estimate of man's typical qualities and those scathing they undoubtedly were it is doubtful if either of them could ever be accounted as a humorous book it was no doubt the realization of this advantage of his sex that inspired methuselah to anticipate the inevitable tu coque of women readers every age must however select its own illustrations of general principles from the life of its day and so although originally intended for a discussion of the peculiarities of the women of methuselah's period the maxims 
have been somewhat boldly adapted to the feminism of the twentieth century if it be inadequate to woman's latter-day ideals and concepts it can be said only that however women have changed in their own esteem since antediluvian times man's point of view in their respect has altered too slightly to affect the general utility of the patriarch's precepts the exigencies of the text therefore have at times compelled me to be much more harsh with woman's frailty and inconsistency than my own unguided and incomplete observation has seemed to warrant but i have been consoled by the fact that without doubt almost any statement one might make upon so broad a subject would be true while the direct opposite would certainly be as provable of any individual case and in my own modest experience all cases have been individual all exceptional still what is true of any considerable number of exceptional women ought to be fairly true of all women in the transcription of these maxims it might go without saying that much of the incisive epigrammatic quality of the original assyrian if it be assyrian has been lost but the epigram and the paradox as applied to woman's ways are media that have been sadly overworked of late and even the modern trope of the inverted or distorted proverb has lost its sting it has been the aim of my own not over-modest attempt rather to be too true to be funny than to be too funny to be true as for this ideal the stilted phraseology of parable the redundancy and tautology of hebraic poetry and the solemn form of king james able literateurs has seen best fitted women held no monopoly in iteration in the olden times nor should it be overlooked that much of the delicate asteism of the maxims is derived not so much from the patriarch's personal observation as from hints he has received directly from women themselves it is the first sign of woman's awakening sense of humor that she is able to perceive the illogicality of her own whims and the absurdity of many of her irresistible desires in a way this trait is the corollary of woman's dogma of her own inscrutability it is a symptom too not so much of treachery as of gathering intellectual and literary class consciousness which when the newer lore of lilith is written shall spit man writhing upon the point of her sharper more facile pen men will no doubt ignore and women contemn these maxims and however sapient and searching their message silly couples may often prefer to make their own deductions and analyses it is the pathos of experience that it can seldom be transmitted from father to son but i at least have done my part and i may say with spencer's cynical maid then let them love that list or live or die me list not die for any lover's duels nay list me leave my loved liberty to pity him that list to play the fool grave as it may be the accusation of sacrilege i shall not anticipate here except to acknowledge my indebtedness to certain literary flourishes in the book of proverbs but even king solomon could he have had the chance of reading this book aloud in his harem would i am sure have forgotten its impropriety in listening to the alternate sneers and giggles of his seven hundred wives princesses and three hundred concubines not to speak of the glee of other strange women together with the daughter of pharaoh women of the moabites ammonites edomites sidonians and hittites new york may first nineteen seventeen end of introduction